Well, uh, I'd like to add my uh, welcome to you. It's great to see you here, especially if you're uh, new to Kings. Fantastic to have you in the room. You're very welcome. And if you've been coming to Kings uh, over 20 years, uh, it's just roughly how long I've been leading the church, you're really welcome as well. Yeah, the fact that you're still here is such an encouragement, okay? Uh, but uh, we are continuing our series called Power in a Weakness. The title of my message today is All God's Promises Are Yes in Christ. All God's Promises Are Yes in Christ. I want to uh, thank uh, uh, many of you who have actually come up to Deb and me and uh, congratulated us and said uh, how delighted you are that my eldest son uh, has got married. He got married about three weeks ago and I got a picture of Ben and Alice and uh, we had a fabulous day. Um, They're now living, they got a flat in Lee, a one bedroom flat in Lee and they're at our Lee site. And they were there this morning. And Alice always looks radiant. It's amazing what you can do on the touch-up things with Ben. Because he comes up. It's amazing the technical things you can do to sort of... But I thought he was looking pretty good there. And, uh, you know, we had a fabulous day. And brilliant weather. And the food and the reception. And the speeches went well. It was just a, a wonderful day. But as I'd said to Ben and Alice right through as they're planning towards this day, I said, do you know... Uh, uh, a marriage is, is built over a lifetime, not on a day. I mean, the day, is, uh, I mean, the day was fun, but I, I was more interested. I was trying to say, that, look, a marriage is about uh, a covenant relationship over a lifetime. And what you do on your marriage day is actually make a promise. That's what you do. You go uh, before God and before your friends and family, and particularly to each other, you, you say promises like, you know, we'll be together for richer and poorer and in sickness and in health. I sometimes, when you've been married for a while and you hear the see all the young ones and they're all kind of tea and all lovey-dovey and things like that, you think, man, do they know what they're promising? <laughs> do they know? Do they know? Because when you've been married as long as I have, you know that seasons of life where your relationship will be really fantastic and then it'll be a little bit of conflict going on and, and then pressures come, yeah? And so it's, it's a big thing. Because it's before God, and it's before your friends and family, and it's to each other. Uh, And and phrases like, until death us part. Yeah. Well, anyway, so uh, so there was a promise there. In fact, we've actually had quite a lot of promises or pledges over these uh, last uh, few weeks to do with the election. I mean, uh, I was surprised at the outcome of the election. I hadn't seen that coming. Uh, I'm not making any political comment on it. I've just, I decided to stay up to one to see it. And then at two, I decided to stay up a bit longer. And at 3.30, I thought I'd better go to bed because I had a sermon to write. Uh, and so this is a bit of confession. You know, if you think that's a bit below par, you know why. Blame it on the election, okay? Uh, <laughs> but lots of promises. We'll see if those promises come to pass, won't we, in the coming months and years. Um, we're going to look at some promises today. I'm going to look at some promises from Scripture, and I'm going to read in our series, Power and Weakness, from 2 Corinthians 1, 12 to 22 today. So come up on the screen. Uh, let's go. Now, this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves 
in the world and especially in our relationship with you in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. We have done so not according to worldly wisdom but according to God's grace for we do not write to you anything that you cannot read or understand and I hope that as you have understood us in part you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. Because I was confident of this, I planned to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I planned to visit you and on my way uh, to Macedonia and come back to you from Macedonia and then have you send me on my way to Judea. And when I planned this, did I do it lightly? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say both yes, yes, and no, no. But surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. And for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. That is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anoints us and sets his seal of ownership on us and puts his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Ah, great verses. I hope through this morning we will uh, draw an even greater understanding uh, from these great verses from the Apostle Paul. A couple of comments of introduction. We're beginning a series out of Second uh, uh, Corinthians, and I want to point you, this is the second week, to Mick Taylor's message last week. So if you weren't here last Sunday, God still loves you, but don't miss the introduction of the series. Otherwise, what will happen is everything we're going to get into, we're going to assume going forward now that you're aware of the broader context. And as... Uh, Mick said last week, uh, and I've summarized it, is that Paul was no Hollywood apostle. Yeah? I mean, he's under huge pressure. He's under life-threatening pressure in Ephesus. He's got trouble with this ongoing trouble with the church in Corinth. I mean, he's pressed in on all sides. And um, it is in that context that he writes... Uh, and, and we live in a little bit of a situation where we're Christians and we're living a countercultural life. So we will come under pressure, but we're not facing the similar pressure that Paul's facing, which is literally life-threatening. But we are at least aware, very aware, that there are Christians dying for their faith. And so in a broader context, we're, we're aware of that. Uh, but this is no Hollywood apostle. He's under pressure. Life is tough. And uh, uh, it would be good to read the, uh, or download from the church app or off the website the, uh, the message that Mick brought and you know, give some understanding into the different sort of uh, you know, four or five different letters that were sent to the church at Corinth as he has this ongoing dialogue with the church that he planted. A second point of introduction, have you ever changed your plans? Have you ever had a plan, I'm going to visit... I'm going to visit this person. Sometimes it could be in a business situation. I'm going to go to this client. And then something happens, which means that you have to readjust your plans. You know, you're going to your mum's birthday party, but you discover Palace are playing at home. You know, and you're torn between these sort of... You have to change your plans and see if you can do both in the same day and things like that. Well, 
And we've all done that, haven't we? We've all had situations where something has come up. And what you have to do is you have to recalibrate priorities. And you're aware sometimes that depending on the situation, um, uh, someone might not feel as happy uh, because you're not coming. So I know that just in pastoral ministry, that any given point you're making a decision of, you know, who do I meet and who do I see? And in fact, in nowhere in comparing to the Apostle Paul, but I've had responsibility for this church and other churches. And I can particularly think of a situation where, you know, a pastor in one church, in a big church, was unwell, you know, unable to... To, to lead the church, the local eldership were just holding the situation, didn't know how it, it was going. And I was involved, and he was having to make decisions. Do I travel there, or do I do things at King's? And, and, and this is the type of thing that we all face, and this is what the Apostle Paul is facing. He's changed his plan because circumstances have developed. The trouble is, in this context, it has, uh, and particularly those that are, are kind of some opposition on the ground in Corinth, I start to question his character and his integrity. In fact, to the point that they're not just questioning his character and integrity, they're building on that, saying, well, if you can't trust him, because he's always changing his plans, he's yes, he's yes sometimes and no the other time, can you even trust his gospel? So it presses. So this is his situation. He's put in the defensive because he's got an accusation coming into him, question his integrity, and also question his gospel. And that's the context that he is writing in. As one commentator puts it, because he did not return immediately to Corinth, as he had indicated he would, the Corinthians now regarded Paul as a double-minded man. Could he be trust? Is he trustworthy? So it's an issue of integrity. And it's interesting to see how the apostle responds to such an accusation. Um, In fact, in a moment, what we're going to do is we're going to read the passage again. Uh, When I uh, proposed... Um, doing 2 Corinthians, uh, it came out my personal devotions, and I realized that I'd never looked at the letter of 2 Corinthians. I'd never been in a church that preached a series out of it, partly because in the last 20 years I've been in this church and we haven't preached a series out of it. But I couldn't even remember right back into my childhood. Any time I've, I've preached out of certain verses, uh, but I've never... Uh, and maybe you, maybe you have... But also, and I was thinking, if I'm like this, I wonder how many other people are like this. This wouldn't be a part of the New Testament I'm as familiar with as other parts, like the book of Acts, or Ephesians, or the Gospels. And and so I came to it fresh. I thought that would be good for us. And uh, and one of the first things I did was I just read the letter. And so I want to encourage you. First point of application, well, first was listen to last week if you weren't here. Second is, why don't you just read the letter? Because very often when we preach, we just drill down into a verse or a, a, a passage. But really, you want to, if you really want to get the kind of the feel of, of the broader context, just read the whole letter. Because it was a letter. As you know, it wasn't broken into verses and chapters. It was just a letter sent to this church. And so I sat down one morning and I started at the beginning. And it, takes, it didn't take too long, actually. I just read the whole letter. Can I encourage you uh, to do that? And so... I'm expecting that as we look at 2 Corinthians, that we are as not familiar with it as we are with other parts of the New Testament. So that's why I'm excited about it, because I think they, when I got, I thought, oh, there could be some good stuff in here, new stuff, a different angle for us as a church. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to reread 
the passage. But before I do, I want to ask you to look out for his defense. But that will help you understand what the context is. And I want to ask you to look how he points the believers in Corinth and us to the promises of God. And then one last thing I want you to look out for is the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, John Piper, uh, on his Desiring God website, great resource, has written a paper called What is the Doctrine of the Trinity? If you want to just drill down into the Godhead and get a bit of good theology this week in your devotions, just go onto that website and there's a great paper. I quote from him, the doctrine of the Trinity is foundational to the Christian faith. It is crucial for the properly understood, or crucial for properly understanding what God is like, how he relates to us, and how we should relate to him. Now, I, th- I understand a number of people were welcomed into membership this morning. Fantastic. Welcome uh, to being a part of our family. And on our membership morning, I take it, and we look at the core Christian doctrines and ask this question. I say, look, what do you think of the, t- the top eight Christian doctrines? And one of them is the Trinity. It is our view of God. And I draw a parallel between another faith, the Hindu faith. Because they have a view of God, which is very different to a Christian view of God. And I say, well, a Hindu uh, faith has, there are multiple gods. Uh, and if you've ever been to a place like India, where Hinduism is predominant, the predominant faith of that nation, you would see little idols and little candles in people's houses. And they've got to atone for certain things and uh, keep the gods happy and all that type of thing. That is very different to our faith. But it's very important that we know who we are actually worshipping. We're worshipping the triune God. We're worshipping the Godhead of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When we read the verse again, I want you to look for it. Because, as you probably know, the word Trinity isn't actually used. It's never, you don't find the word Trinity in the New Testament. That's the word we use to summarize, to describe this three-in-one God. There is one God. There are three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each person is God. There is mutual submission within the Trinity and there is community within the Trinity between son to, uh, spirit to son and son to father. This is uh, the Godhead. This is the God we worship. There is one God who exists as three distinct persons. There's some mystery in it, uh, but that's the God we follow. So now, with that all by way of introduction... We're going to read the scripture again because the other thing that can happen, I don't know about you, sometimes, I'm confessing this, is that when the pastor is reading the scripture, I'm waiting for the funny illustration. I'm waiting for him to grab my attention, okay, which is, is fair enough, by the way. But why don't we just read the scripture now with some of that background and hopefully it'll bring it alive to you and then we'll get into some application. Is that okay? So here we go. Now, one last thing. Uh, they use the phrase boast a lot, and you'll see it right through Second uh, Corinthians, which seems a little strange, because you think, should Christians be boasting? Surely we should be humble, yeah? And so when you read it, you think, well, that's a bit strange. It's just, it was just a very common term in that day, and it would be very common for people to boast of something. And so it does, in our culture and context, it seems a bit like, oh, he's bigging himself up. Uh, but don't worry, it's just a contextual uh, thing. Okay, so let, here we go again. Now, this is our boast. You're looking for defense? Are you looking for the Trinity? Yeah, and you're looking for important to God. You're with me? Now, this is our boast. 
our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relationship with you in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. We have done so, not according to worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. For we do not write to you anything you cannot read or understand, and I hope that as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully. So he's saying, look, you've only got half of what, half of what I'm really saying to you. You just, just understand the whole of it, that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus because I was confident of this, I planned to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I planned to visit you on my way to Macedonia and come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. When I planned this, did I do it lightly? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say both yes, yes, and no, no? But surely, okay, transition, Surely, as God the Father is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen, our response, is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ and he anoints us. So here comes the Holy Spirit. He anoints us, sets his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Okay, that's all by way of introduction. So you kind of understand the verses and their original readers and now we can kind of do good hermeneutics and apply it to our own lives. And we're going to do that by focusing now on verse 20 where it says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And I have three quick points and then we're going to pray together. And they're this, that firstly, uh, the, the promise and fulfillment of Old Testament promises are yes in Christ. The promise of salvation and our response, our amen, are yes in Christ and the promise of the Holy Spirit. So that's where we're going. In fact, one commentator uh, summarized the promise and the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises like this. Paul is, reflects his conviction that Jesus is both the midpoint and the climax of redemptive history. There is no event in Israel's history or promise granted to God's people that does not find its significance or fulfillment in Christ. So be in no doubt, Jesus is the midpoint, and he is the climax of redemptive history, because the passage ends by looking that the Holy Spirit gives you a guarantee to what is to come. That's another thing we look on the membership morning, of the doctrine of the return of Christ. So that we actually believe, we believe something about God, we believe something about salvation, and we believe something about the end. And it's all in these few wonderful verses. And so it's all in Christ. Um, and he's the fulfillment of Old, Tem- Old Testament promise that a Messiah is coming, that there's a new way to connect with God. 
Let me give you some examples. You're probably very familiar with these, but let's just for a moment uh, bear with me. Let me uh, introduce the, the promise of the new covenant, which will come in the next couple of weeks as we go into 2 Corinthians. So Jeremiah's prophecy, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, a new agreement of how you can relate with God, with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not like be the covenant I made with ancestors. So this is the covenant to Moses, the law. Yeah, um, When I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So here's the promise in Jeremiah that is fulfilled in Christ. And now the external law, we're not following the external law, it's now by the Spirit in us. It's like internalized and it moves us to follow God's ways. Or Ezekiel 36 and 26, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. Or the promise fulfilled to the Davidic covenant, that the, the promise to David that there will always be someone on the line of his uh, um, and in his line on the throne. So Jeremiah 33, 14 and 70. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judea. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. And he will do what is just and right in the land. And in those days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord our righteous saviour. So all promises, all Old Testament promises are fulfilled and are yes in Christ. So that's the first promise. The second promise is the promise of salvation. This phrase. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now what Paul's speaking to the Corinthians and to us now is that there is something that has happened in our heart that resonates that the gospel is true because that's what he's been challenged about. Yeah? And it pulls an amen out of us, which literally means it's like, I agree. Yes. Uh, let it be. Um, amen. Amen. Yes. 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 And so whenever we say yes to Jesus, what happens is there's an internal echo or resonance within us, this is true. We have discovered truth. This is the Messiah that has fulfilled Old Testament promise. But more than that, he is the Savior. And more than that, he's our Savior. And it resonates within us. And we go, Amen. Amen. Yes. Yes. In Christ, to the glory of God. Not to our performance or anything that we do. Actually, we're admitting our weakness and we just say, Amen. And and I don't know about you, sometimes if your spirit is low and you think, oh gosh, is it all really true? And then you gather with the people of God and you start worshipping and something internally kicks in. You go, amen, it's true, it resonates. And that's what Paul's arguing for here. He's saying, actually, one of the, the proofs that it's authentic 
Yeah, it's real, is what's happened in your own heart. You have, in fact, experienced this new covenant, that you have had your heart softened. Yeah, you've had the, the Holy Spirit. And so that's the second promise. It's a promise of salvation, which reflects back glory to God. Not glory to you, how spiritual I am. No, glory to God, because God has fulfilled his promise in Christ. And then lastly, the promise of the Holy Spirit. There is a promise of the Holy Spirit. If we had time, we could look at the promise in Acts 1 of the Holy Spirit coming. Um, And uh, what I have here is just quickly four pictures for you of what Paul says about this uh, promised Holy Spirit. Now, remember the context. The context is massive pressure, life-threatening pressure. And I don't know what pressure you're under at the moment. I don't know if work's really hard. I don't know if you've got relational pressures. I don't know if you've got health pressures. Uh, I don't know. And sometimes when you look at these challenges, you think, well, does it count? Well, yes, it does count. It does count. And we're grateful. I mean, I'm not looking for martyrdom, okay? I'm not looking for it. And that's why the Bible says you've got to have both. Rejoice with those that rejoice and mourn with those that mourn. Uh, But probably amongst a a meeting and gathering of this side, there are a number of you that are really feeling pressure. Pressure with money, pressure at work. People are uh, uh, giving you a hard time because you're a Christian and you're feeling temptation or or you're being pulled into things that you think I really shouldn't be involved in. And so you're feeling pressure. Well, these words are for you. And the whole letter starts with this uh, phrase of comfort and says, The God of comfort can comfort you so that through the comfort you've received from God, you can comfort others. Okay? And that's what the and that's what the Holy Spirit is the comforter. He's the counselor. He's the one that comes alongside. He's the one that brings power in weakness. And so you can be walking through life, you can be under huge pressure, and you can know comfort from God in and through the Holy Spirit. And here are the four pictures. The first is stand, then anointing, seal, and deposit. And so the first thing that the apostle says and the scripture says to us today is stand firm. When you're under pressure, uh, in whatever context you find yourself in or season of life you find yourself, stand firm. I mean, I kind of, with my sons, and if, if all the guys here, I kind of would be like, come on, guys, stand up. Stop wussing around. Be men. Stand firm under pressure. Take the hit. All that type of thing. Yeah? I'm sure I can say that to ladies as well, but I, uh, that's what I say to my boys. Come on, let's be men around here. Let's take the hit. Yeah? Um, when I think of standing, I think of, um, have you ever stood by the sea when the the waves are coming in and you've got your sand on the sand and your feet and you're going, these waves are hitting you. And Yeah, have you ever done that? It's all, I've done it. It's okay. You're allowed to do that. It's okay. Some of you think, man, I'm far too cool to admit to doing that. There's a huge difference of standing on rock and letting the waves come in because you've got a strong foundation and you stand firm. Yeah? Or what about this? When I was at school, we once went, I can't remember, we went on a school trip and we ended up at some army place and we ended up taking on another school at tug of war. Yeah, it's just great. And we're there. And we had these sergeant majors barking at us. And what they said to us, tug of war, they said, when you take it, you just stand. The first thing, don't pull. Literally lean on the rope and stand. That's the first thing you need to do. 
And that's what we're called to do. As Christians, when pressure comes, first thing we are to do is stand. And sometimes that's all you can do. You, can't, you don't step back, you don't step forward, you just hold your ground. You stand. And then he gives three other pictures. The picture of anointing of the Holy Spirit, the picture of the seal of the Holy Spirit, and the picture of the deposit. A couple of comments and then we're going we're gonna to pray. So the anointing goes back to Old Testament. The anointing of God used to come on sort of special people, prophets, priests, and kings, for special moments, yeah? for, for words to speak, for signs to do. And now in the new covenant, this Holy Spirit is available to all of us so that you, know, you could simply apply this, that you're at work or at school and you, you're coming under pressure and you're trying to think of the right words to say or, or, or the wisdom to say nothing. And the anointing of God comes on you. And it's as if God gives you the grace and wisdom for the moment. That's what you need. Um, or it's the picture of the seal. Now, we've all seen the movies now, haven't we? Where you've got, you know, the letter written. And he gets his signet ring, which is the picture here. And they pour the wax or candle wax on. And he literally seals it. And then when the letter comes and is open, because it's got the seal on, it authenticates the, the message and who the message is from. Okay? So the Holy Spirit, what it does. So it's, in, it's, it's like it authenticates what you've experienced. It means, it kind of connects to the phrase, you know, that the Holy Spirit within us cries out, Abba, Father. Because we've encountered God, we know it to be real, it's authentic, and so we cry out to Dad, oh God, you love me, we worship you, I'm a son of God. So there's all that in the seal, which helps you stand when pressure comes, particularly following Christ's pressure comes. And then, lastly, the picture of deposit. Now the deposit is to guarantee something. So I've recently bought a car. I didn't want to buy a car. They were expensive things. I wanted my people carrier to keep going so I could get my kids through university and do the whole thing. And then I'm, I'm living for the dream of that little sporty number. Yeah, I just think, you know, when back in the day, and everyone's going, oh, have you seen the pastor's new sporty little car? I don't know. I don't know. Do you really, should he really have one like that? Well, I want one. I'll say, okay, things like that. But I have another 4x4 four four Galaxy people carrier. That I'm still in that season of life, the university and taxi service and things like that. And so I, oh. so I thought to myself, I've just got to go for it. I'll go for what I know. I'll get a Ford Galaxy. And I went on the internet and I found one and I visited it. And I liked it. And it cost me a bit more than I wanted to. But I thought, well, if I'm going to do it, I might as well get it for another few years and can get Sam through university, so it's going to last me seven years. I worked it all out, and I put a deposit down, which secured that for me. It made it a guarantee. And uh, when you experience the Holy Spirit, it guarantees something. Yeah, it guarantees comfort for here and now, but actually in this context, far more it guarantees something beyond the grave. Now, we're not facing life-threatening. We're not going to walk out and get martyred for being a Christian in this country. Praise God. Okay. But as you get older and heaven comes closer, yeah, these are reassuring words for some of us in the room because there is, I hope there is a guarantee. Not only will he come again, but we'll be raised with him and be with him forever. And as, the, as Second Corinthians will introduce us, that these troubles are momentary compared to our everlasting life with him. Okay. 
Then lastly, a couple of applications were done, which is remember the backdrop of this series. And hopefully it will bring a change of perspective to us. Now there's truth in the principle of reaping and sowing. In other words, what you do with your life, your time, your money, will, what you reap, you'll reap what you sow. But it doesn't necessarily link into a, a gospel of prosperity that it's always rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Uh, that's, that's, that's not a, a good gospel because ultimately when things go wrong, <laughs> not only are you fed up that things have gone wrong, but you start questioning the God you're following because surely I was just, just going to prosper me. Okay, that, that is not the gospel as I understand it. And therefore, if you add in that is around sometimes in some church circles and you add in the materialistic culture that we live in which says the only way to be happy is to have more and, and you've got to have more and things like that. If you put that together, what can happen is it really erodes genuine faith which is a change of perspective that yes, God will bless, God will be with you, but there will become times of real trouble where you are counterculture. You are, you are a citizen of heaven. You're an ambassador on earth. As the scripture says, you're like an alien, which is you're not, you're not like everyone else. And so you live in this tension because you have different values and make different choices. That's what's going to come through. And it's good for us to just have that challenge, that change of perspective. And then lastly, that there is the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The counselor, the comforter. The Holy Spirit is for us and with us. And then whatever situation you're going through at the moment, and maybe you're going through, you're here and you're just about hanging on to faith or hanging on to life. And, uh, well, this is a great series for you. Because the whole series is about power in weakness. And so what we want to do is we want to spend the last 10 minutes just praying with one another. And I'm going to give you an opportunity. In fact, if the band could come up, we're going to sing a song which picks up the, the phrase, God is faithful, faithful one. And then we're going to give an, I'm going to give you an opportunity to be prayed with today for the Holy Spirit to comfort you and strengthen you, help you stand firm in the challenges you face. Let's stand together, shall we?